Welcome to the Epiphany Lutheran Church podcast. These messages, based on a biblical text, interpreting the hearer's situation, informed by Christian teaching, creatively proclaim the crucified and risen Jesus of Nazareth for forgiveness and new life starting now. Epiphany Lutheran Church is located in South City, St. Louis, Missouri. Our vision is to be a community that puts Jesus first, neighbors second, and ourselves third by gathering to be served by him so we can grow to love as he loves. Learn more at epiphany-stl.org. That's epiphany-stl.org. Friends, the Lord be with you. Let's do that one more time, a little bit more of vim and vigor back from you all. Friends, the Lord be with you. There you go. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all hearts here present are pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And I pray now, Lord, for your Holy Spirit, that your Spirit descend upon me and envelop me and place your words in my mouth. Please take away my words, my thoughts, my ideas. And I ask that you remove distraction and temptation at this time, Lord, that in this message, these people hear you as you use my voice. I pray for these listeners, Lord. Pray for your Holy, that your Holy Spirit descend upon them and that your Spirit take these words and begin faith and grow faith and answer all doubts. Lastly, Lord, I pray that this, that this message be all about you and not about me. Take away my pride, my arrogance, my ego, my selfishness. Take away my need to be told that this is a good sermon, that in this message, Lord, your name is praised and glorified in the crucified and risen Christ proclaimed in the awesome and holy name of Jesus. Amen. Man, that was really kind of a cool storm, wasn't it, on Friday? You know, if you didn't end up in a ditch, that is. I guess if you ended up in a ditch, it wasn't so cool. But, you know, it's one of the things I've learned about living in the Midwest. I've learned in three major cities in the Midwest, Chicago. This is our second go-around in St. Louis, and we lived for almost 20 years in Detroit. And, and one of the things about the Midwest is that weather changes quickly. You know, there's that old saying, if you don't like the weather here, hang around 10 minutes, it'll change. And it will! I, I can't say that about uh, the West Coast or the East Coast or the, or, or, or the far South or the, the far Northeast or Alaska, but I can't say Midwest weather is that way. It just really changes quickly. And I certainly am glad that all of you are here, and I pray that all of you did not have any major incidents while you were commuting home on Friday or wherever you were heading on Friday. Today, uh, we're looking at Paul's letter, the epistle, uh, because there's a word in there that's not used very often. It's used here, it's used in this place, it's used in the church, but it's not used really outside the church, and that's a three-letter word that starts with S, it ends in N, it contains an I, and that word is sin. You know, we use it a lot. We just confessed our sins, and we're absolved of those sins, but how often outside of here do you hear the word sin? Not very often. In fact, maybe never. And when did sin begin? Well, for us, I believe it began with what I call the big lie. 
Paul says in uh, our text, Ephesians, uh, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 6, verse 6, that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Did you ever think about that? Probably not. I mean, it's kind of cool. We come in here to church on a Sunday and we, we stand in front of everybody and we confess our sins in thought, word, or, or deed, but we're never specific, are we? I mean, you, we might be thinking, I mean, we did have a, a moment for silent confession, but in our confession of sins, we're always kind of, well, what I thought said and did, and then we get absolved and away we go. Hey, new life. We never, I don't think really, and and maybe I'm speaking just for me here, but I don't know that I really ever focus on me being a slave to sin, which began with the big lie. You know, I think that sometimes uh, people read uh, the the account of Adam and Eve in in the Garden of Eden in in the book of Genesis, and they they think, well, the only thing that, that God wants to do is to prevent you from having fun. See, if you sin, you have fun. If you don't sin, you don't have any fun. And I challenge that. I love to play golf, and I have fun playing golf. And the people that play golf with me, they have fun too because I'm such a silly-looking golfer. I have fun when I watch my Chicago Cubs play baseball, especially when they win. That's fun. When my wife and I go out to dinner, that's fun. When we have friends over to our home, when we have our small group over uh, from our congregation to our home, we have fun. And you know what? There's no sinning going on. But yet people believe that the only time you can have a good time is when you're sinning, which got started by the big lie by Satan. And friends, I'm going to look at Genesis chapter 2 and 3 today, and I want you to focus on words, and I want you to focus on the craftiness of Satan. See, it all begins, it all begins in, in, in chapter 2 of Genesis, and it's almost like God is, uh, could be accused of withholding something from Adam and Eve. You'll see that in chapter 3. But here's where it all starts. Garden of Eden. Adam's hanging around, and it says in verse 15 of chapter 2, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Two simple things. Adam, here's your garden. Work it, keep it. Now listen to these words. Because Satan is going to use some of these words in just a minute. And the Lord God commanded the man, that's Adam, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. Hope you listen to that. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from of it, you shall surely die. Fast forward now to verse to chapter three. Eve has been created. Adam is, is now missing a rib. Chapter three, verse one. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. So chapter 3 now, Satan slithers into the Garden of Eden. 
He says to the woman, to Eve, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Focus on two things. First, he says, Did God actually say this? Satan is causing doubt in Eve's mind. You know what, it, what, you know what did God say? Satan is implying that, well, you know who you heard this from? You heard it from your husband. And you know, men don't hear very well anyway. And they get all things confused. If God would have talked to you, I'm sure you would have it really straight. But you know Adam. You know men. They don't even ask for directions for crying out loud. Satan causes doubt. In your mind, by using a word... Actually, God really, you sure he meant that? And then he goes on to say that you shall not eat of the fruit of, I'm sorry, of any tree in the garden. Did God say you can't eat of any tree? No, God said have your, have your pick, have your choice, eat all the fruit you want from all the trees you want except one. What does Satan do? He confuses and he changes the words of God and thereby creates more doubt in Eve's mind. So Eve replies, though. She says, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the garden that is in the midst of, you shall not eat of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not get this word now. Surely die. Where did we hear that word before? We heard it right before when God says, If you do eat of this tree, you will surely die. See what Satan's doing? He's using God's word. He's sounding like God. He's sounding to be convincing like God. Remember this, friends. You cannot outsmart Satan on your own. Can't do it. Satan then says, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when I read that, I thought, my goodness, up until this time, Adam and Eve had no idea what evil was. Think about that. How long did Adam and Eve live in the garden before Satan showed up? I don't know. Bible doesn't tell us. Was it a day? Maybe. Was it a week? Maybe a decade? Who knows? I don't know. But for all this time, they knew nothing about evil. You know what? They never had a tooth cavity. Adam and Eve never had a common cold. They had no weeds in their garden. They didn't know evil. And when I read that, my mind instantly went to my Aunt Sue. My Aunt Sue lives in Birmingham, Alabama. She is my Uncle Ken's wife. Uncle Ken was my dad's brother. Everybody in that generation, save for Aunt Sue, is now living with the Lord in heaven. And I remember when I was a little kid, we had traveled to Birmingham, Alabama to visit Aunt Sue and, and Uncle Ken and, and their family. And, and Aunt Sue would, would always look at me and say, Now, Johnny, that's what they call you in the South, and your name is John. Johnny? Y'all getting any snow in Chicago? Yes, Aunt Sue, we get a lot of snow. You know something, Johnny? I've never seen it. I have never seen snow. I'm going to call her up this afternoon and say we got 12 inches. Anytime you want to show up, have some. Aunt Sue has no idea the feel of a snowball. She has no idea of 
snowflakes coming down and you know you open your mouth and you know they come in and she's never built a snowman and you think about all of these things that are just so commonplace to us to her they've never been she's never felt she's never touched she's never experienced well that's what evil was like to Adam and Eve they had never experienced it their relationship with God was one it wasn't separated by anything it was one they were with God and God was with them and they were together in joy and happiness and love and peace and no separation and then These other words were spoken right before it where the serpent says to Eve, you will be like God. And we are. Little g. Since that time, we we are the ones that determine what's right and what's wrong. We are the ones that judge other people. Did you see what she wore to church this Sunday? She ought to be ashamed of herself. We even get to the point where we judge other people's faith. (laughs) Yeah, this guy here, he's got faith, but not like me. See, we are the ones, because we are God's little g, we are the ones that determine what is right and wrong. We are the ones that determine what's fair and unfair, what's just and unjust, and yes, we even can determine who is redeemable and who isn't. I know one thing we sometimes say. I don't know that Jesus really died for those people. Because we will be or are in our minds like God. All of this created by the big lie. So what are the benefits of sin? Nothing. In fact, in, in, we're going to look at a, little, in a, in a few other texts here, to, uh, here today, but God is certainly not withholding any benefits from you by saying you shouldn't sin. In fact, Scripture says sin is many things, but one of the things it doesn't say is it never says that sin is a benefit to you. We look at our text, as I said just a moment ago, we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Verse 16 of the same chapter, Paul writes, Do you know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? You know, friends, we need to think about this more often. We are slaves to sin. Slaves has totally encompassed our lives. You know, a moment ago we had our confession of sins, you know, what we thought, said, and did. Did you ever think about naming them? My morning prayers, that's what I do. I ask God for forgiveness. And you know what? I probably don't remember them all, but I try to remember the sins I've done the day before or that morning. Enslaved to sin. Sin also causes death. Chapter 6, verse 23, Paul writes, For the wages of sin is death. You know, all of us have become pretty good sinners. Some of us might even make the Hall of Fame. 
Paul says that he's the chief of sinners. And I think to myself, you know what, when I get up to heaven, he and I got to have a conversation about that. Because I know I am a miserable sinner. And what do I get for it? What is my wage? What is my salary? What, is, what do I get for being a sinner? Death. You too. Sin leads to death. And sin falls short of the glory of God. Chapter 3 of Romans, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Key word there is all. All of us have sinned. Not just the people next to you. Not just the people in front of you or behind you or the folks in the balcony. By the way, choir, thank you. That was really good. All of us have sinned. You know, sometimes we, in our self-righteous life, we like to set ourselves up and say, well, you know, I, I might a little bit. But all of us have sinned, and what have we done? We've all fallen short of the glory of God. From 1 John, sin is breaking God's law. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, everyone, get the word now, not a few, not many, not some, not almost everybody, but everyone who makes a practice of sinning, that's you and me, also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is breaking God's law. And what sin does, being many gods as we try to be, it sets us up for a life of selfishness. The world revolves around me. It's what I want, what I need, what my desires are, what I am deserving of, what I am entitled to. That's where the world revolves all around me. I read a book, Nathan Benjamin, get this book. In fact, if you want it, I'll be happy to buy it for you. It's called The Generosity Factor. It's written by Ken Blanchard, and a very easy read. You guys are fast readers. You'll have this read in 20 minutes. It took me 20 days, but it'll take you 20 minutes. Honestly, it's good. And he, he outlines two kinds of lives. The life that the world looks at, and that's called the, the, life, of, the life of success. And he says the ingredients for this life are wealth, achievement, and status. Think about that. What the world says is a, is a successful life is a world that revolves around wealth, achievement, and status. But he claims that the best life is a life of significance. Listen to the words. A life of significance includes generosity, relationships, and service. When I pastored a church in Michigan and used to do premarital counseling, I would sit down with the bride and groom and I would look at the groom and I would say, you know what your role is as husband? Your role is to serve your wife. Your role is to put her needs, her wants, her desires before yours. I would look at the bride and I would say, you know what your role is? Your role is to serve your husband. You're to put his needs, his wants, his desires before your own. And what makes a happy marriage is when you are so busy serving one another that you're surrendering yourself to the other. And it's no longer a selfish life, but a selfless life. Jesus said, I came to serve, not... Shout it out. Be served. And yet sin causes us to always want to be served. 
1 John 5, 17 says that this is what uh, 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 sin is. Uh, All wrongdoing is sin. Man, strong words, the word all. Not some of it. All wrongdoing is sin. And sin is also conscious disobedience against uh, what is right. James writes here, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Did you get that? If you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, that's sinful. And sometimes the right thing to do is in a loving, gospel-centered way, call out your brother or sister. Friends, that's happened to me in my life. Some of the greatest spiritual transformation that I've witnessed in me is when loving people in my life called me out. Sin is also approving the sinning of others. Romans chapter 1 Verse 32. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Think about that. Approving what other people do. That's sinful. How many times, maybe in our lives, we stood by and just watched? Now, please, uh, give me a little leeway here, and this is not a condemnation, it's just a comment. But look at, look at the scandal that the Roman Catholic Church is dealing with today because people approved and kept their mouths shut. I'm not dissing on Roman Catholics, please. Because the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod has plenty of dirty laundry that we can air. Also, what does Paul say here? That those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Look at the people who congr- who, who church bodies ordain today. Yes, I am calling that sinful. Because I have this to stand on. Not my words. Not my thoughts. Not my ideas, but the Word of God. So now that we've found out that we're slaves, now that we've found out that we're just nothing but lousy, miserable, rotten sinners, where do we turn? What do we do? How do we get out of this mess? Romans 5, chapter 8, a verse that changed my life. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Key word that Paul uses here. He doesn't say Jesus died for us. He says Christ died for us. Christ, the Christos, the Anointed One, the Messiah, this Son of God. God died for us. (coughs) While we were busy sinning. While we continue to sin. Jesus, Christ, the Christos, the Son of God, died for our sins. 
So what do we do? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace, Paul writes, you have been saved. Grace. What is grace? Grace is a gift from God that we do not deserve. By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Friends, we are saved because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, lived a perfect life and He died on the cross. When we look at that cross and it's empty, when we stare into that tomb and it's vacant, it's because Jesus came for you as miserable a sinner as you are and as miserable a sinner as the person next to you is. And as miserable as I am, Jesus went to the cross and died. And by the power of his Father, he was raised to heaven, raised from that tomb. And all of our sins are buried forever. It is by grace a free gift from God that we have been saved. Let's do this. Let's do this. There's people who aren't here today. I'm not talking about members of the church. I'm just talking about regular old people. Maybe people who live in the neighborhood who don't know Jesus Christ. Maybe there's people that you live with, maybe people that you work with, maybe people that you go to school with that don't know Jesus Christ. Let's share Jesus. We all cool with that? We all cool with that? So be it. Amen. We honor our Lord with our tithes and offerings.